If you want to crush your quota, you're in the right place. My first year in sales, I sold $758,000 on a $150,000 quota, and that was just the beginning. I'm your host, Mary Grothy. I'm a former number one B2B mid-market SaaS sales rep turned CEO. I've sold millions in revenue, broken multiple records, and now I run a company that rebuilds revenue engines and creates top sales performance. This isn't a show about achieving quota. This isn't about being okay in sales. This is about being number one and learning what it takes to crush your quota. It's weird being a former top salesperson because there's always this weird relationship between marketing and sales. And as an earlier in my profession, coming up the ranks, I was an early adopter of LinkedIn, loved using the platform, invited so many people to it, and really embraced social selling early. But when I took a three-year hiatus from a sales career, went and ran my own company, I had stepped away from using social from an aspect of selling. It was more from an entrepreneurial level and more about brand and influence. When I went back into that sales career 2014 to 2017, I was really surprised to see how social was being leveraged by salespeople. Really, it wasn't is the short answer to that. And then I was watching how brands, B2B brands, specifically the company that I worked for, big Fortune 1000 payroll and HR company, was leveraging social media. And they had one strategy, sharing articles. And then they wanted all the salespeople to go share a blog post. It's like, really? What is this? This isn't a strategy. This is just throwing a link out into the universe and seeing if somebody will read it. And it never resonated with me. It always felt forced and I didn't like it. And so I began building up my own personal brand and influence on social platforms. And it was all about community and communication and engaging the people I was talking to and and figuring out how to form a relationship on that platform. And that concept seemed weird to others. And I actually heard the direct feedback that salespeople said it sounded like a lot of work without a return. Then you saw this pendulum swing to where salespeople are like, this is awesome. It's called social selling. Now it's an excuse to not pick up the phone and do outbound prospecting. I'm just going to sit here on my newsfeed for three hours and I'm quote unquote working. So the pendulum swung to where everybody thought they were social selling. Then it evolved again to now be connecting and pitching and utter spam. It's like we are using social platforms completely wrong. So here I am about, I don't know, six months ago, I decide to get back on Twitter. I had been dormant. I get back on Twitter and it was... A period of time where I was trying to figure out who to follow, who to be influenced by, and who to, whose stuff I liked. Well, somebody was in my my newsfeed, my Twitter feed, named Christina Garnett, and I'm like, who is this person? And how are we connected? And how am I seeing her content? And I didn't know who she was, but I did know one thing. And Twitter figured it out very quickly. They knew I liked her tweets. And it wasn't just her tweets. It was the tweets that she liked because those show in my newsfeed. Here is somebody that so brilliantly identified a way to create community engagement and listen to her audience and build a newsfeed that people 
love and can feel wholesome and fulfilled and encouraged and educated. And this woman has completely transformed over the last six months my entire viewpoint of how to leverage social media. And it's it's shocking to me that this is still seemingly so unknown for brands, whether that's a CPG or consumer brand, a professional brand, or really those B2B companies that are figuring out how to have a voice on social. They still seem to be playing in blog amplification and philanthropy. Look, we participated in a 5K and there's really not a lot in between or welcome a new team member. Then you have this world of people that are responsible for carrying a quota, like many of you. How do I use social to engage? And then you have everyday people that have a choice to make on their brand and influence, their own personal brand and influence on these social platforms. And this is somebody that just showed me there's a way to do it, to do it that's wholesome, full of heart, encouragement, and love, and spotlighting people who also have heart, mission, hard work, (laughs) and dedication to just being a good human being. And she's also a sports fan. (laughs) I'll let her talk about that. But like, it wasn't just one day she woke up and she's like, hey, I'm brilliant on Twitter. She has such a cool story. She's a former teacher and marketing director. She gets to work now with Fortune 500 brands to strengthen their digital strategy. She loves inbound marketing. She and I have a true love for the inbound marketing methodology, all things HubSpot. I actually think that's how we initially connected is when I was an inbound speaker the first time in 2019. But she, I think where she thrives is just understanding audience intelligence. And she focuses her efforts to encourage a deep dive to understand personas, competitors, and then aligning these companies and their brands to how they differentiate, how to engage and listen to their audience and do what we call social listening. But she believes that to truly understand your audience, you just have to listen to them. So Christina, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. That was quite an intro. Thank you. You know, I try to make it non-boring around here so people actually like this podcast, but that I'm scratching the surface. I know so little about you. You obviously know the most. So tell us more of the story. Absolutely. So I come from a background. I was, I don't have a degree in marketing. I graduated from Davidson College with a degree in English. I knew I wanted to go into teaching and was looking for positions and English majors and basically English teachers are pretty easy to find. Um, math teachers are not. And so I went to a job fair and because I went to Davidson, it was well known. Um, they immediately want to talk to me and be like, is this something that you'd be interested in? And I took everything through calculus and loved the opportunity. I'm very much a challenge, like throw me in the deep end. Let's see what happens kind of person. And, um, wound up teaching for five years, absolutely loved it. And, um, I was lucky enough to do a lot of work with students who had, uh, learning differences And so learned uh, Orton-Gillingham method, which is basically like differentiated instruction and a methodology to be able to um, personalize your lessons or for marketing purposes, your content. So it's, it's, it's easily digestible by the student or by your target audience. And then had to kind of reinvent myself was um, met my husband, um, got married, got pregnant, moved to Virginia and had to decide if I wanted to go back into teaching after being a stay-at-home mom for a few years and found HubSpot Academy, actually. Um, 
my husband when we first met said that I should go into marketing because I would fix commercials. I would deconstruct, <laughs> optimize, like I would just tweak anything. And at the time I thought it was weird. And now I know that that's just how marketers brains work. We are constantly optimizing whether like we have no control over it. We just are constantly tinkering. Um, but I was like, no, I'm teaching. I'm fine. And then came back to it later, found HubSpot Academy and the inbound methodology was the first, like what I would consider the first true marketing like educational resource that I really started diving into. And it just made so much sense to me that I just started eating everything HubSpot Academy had, like just every course I could get my hands on all the quizzes, certifications, like went through everything. Um, and really just kind of fell absolutely and, and incredibly in love with, with marketing inbound marketing. And I'm an incredibly curious person to a fault um, I, I always say that you can tell a lot by someone who like what their favorite childhood book book was or is um, that it tells you a lot. And mine was Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. I mean, Alice, it's it's always Alice. It's always going to be Alice for me. So I'm exceptionally curious. And I think that curiosity, there's a reason why if you ask someone like what's one of the one of the best skills for a marketer, a lot of them say curiosity because it it creates a lot of future actions. If you're curious, you're going to constantly have to stay on on top of things, stay on the news, which is obviously ideal. It also means that you're humble to a certain extent, because if you're curious, then just by being curious, you acknowledge that you don't know everything because you wouldn't be curious if you if you thought you knew it all. There'd be nothing outside of you. Mm -mm. So uh, the cure, the more curious you are, the more you realize that there's just you're always going to be learning and it becomes a great passion of your life because you, you, you almost can't help it. You're just constantly craving information. And because of that, you realize that that, that stuff you're going to learn doesn't come from you. It has to come from externally. And that can come from your customers. It can come from your potential customers. It can come from your competitors. It can come from um, your audience. It can, it can come from anywhere, but having the, having that open mind and having that hunger it it truly has been one of the key pieces of my of my work life. It's just constantly being curious and then constantly having to figure out how can I take that to use like the Orton Gillingham method or inbound methodology to make sure that I'm taking what I know and now I can share it with someone else, whether that be a peer, a mentee, um, or a customer. And that inbound marketing certification was everything for me. I have a degree in marketing and I learned more in four hours through that certification about marketing than I did in my entire degree. And now I would say, right, they were uh, 12, 14 years apart in timing and a lot has shifted in marketing, but I just felt like the quality of information that was delivered, not only did it educate me, but it birthed an excitement inside of me to become a marketer. And I'm a salesperson. I'm at heart will always be a salesperson. Even as I've transitioned into being a CEO, I will always be business development minded. I love the profession, but my, my heart and this fire inside of me about marketing grew one, when we got introduced to HubSpot, but then in taking that inbound course, it was so reaffirming Uh that this is the direction companies need to go. This is the winning methodology. And 
it has transformed everything we've done for our clients. And you want to increase sales performance, build inbound marketing methodology, watch those salespeople 2x, Mm -hmm. 3x, 4x, their results. It's like clockwork, but it was the missing ingredient to the work that we do to scale companies. And I have heard so many people share what you just said about all of HubSpot Academy, really an amazing give back to the community. And there's a lot of things HubSpot did right (laughs) about creating community. They've never had to sell a CRM. No. And I just, I, anyway, I have a huge heart for that company and I absolutely love it. But (laughs) regardless of that, how, how did your passion for marketing Twitter come about? And really tell me that journey because it is very impressive what you have built and what you do. So let's talk more about that because you taught me more just by example of how to engage on social than anything I think I could have found anywhere else. So where, where did that come from? Yeah. Um, well, thank you very much. That, that definitely means a lot. And I love that community. It, it, means, it means a great deal to me. Um, marketing Twitter, I did not birth it. Like it existed before me. Um, there's a lot of marketers who found themselves on Twitter. It, but before it kind of felt like a lunchroom, you had these little clicks and these little groups and these little like tables. And that's like, that's where that group sits. And that's where that group sits and they talk within themselves. Um, 2020 was such a major game changer for a lot of people. I faced burnout and had to walk away from an agency role because it, it became too much. I mean, it was just, it was, um, it was just really stressful. And, and I, I am grateful that I had a really great support system that was there to say, like, you, you need to walk away from this. You need to, you need to walk away. And I'm normally not that person. I'm normally that person that will like fight to the bitter end. Like I'm very stubborn sometimes. Um, but was able to walk away from that. And, but one of the things that, that I was in my agency was, and most agencies have this too, especially if you're working from home, is you have your Slacks or your Teams, your Google Hangouts, and you're talking to each other with like the whole team as a, as a whole, and you're sharing news and updates and things like that. And that was one of my things is I I naturally keep that that teacher part of me will never die. So I'm constantly sharing updates. Here's a conference. Here's a free webinar. Here's this. Here's this update. Like I just saw this. Like for example, Matt Navarra just shared a Google Drive that had all of the trend reports from like early this year and all of last year, Mm -hmm. all in one place. Like that's priceless. Um, Mm -hmm. So sharing things like that um, so that teams can have that. It's just, I'm a firm believer that rising tides lift all boats. So I want everyone around me to do their best work. I don't want to be better than you because I didn't provide you an opportunity to scale up. I want to be better than you because I outworked you. I outread you. I, you know what I'm saying? Like there's no, there's no reason why I shouldn't help others scale. There's no reason why I shouldn't help others be better because I want, I, I see it as an investment in our industry. I don't want to be the best out of like horrible work. I want to be the best out of like top tier work. Like I want all, I want, I want the industry to be insanely good. And then if I'm at the top of that, or I'm, even if I'm in the middle of that, I'm surrounded by great work that makes everything better. And so um, I, when I left the agency, I took that energy that I was putting towards that team and I put that towards Twitter. 
So I wrote, I wrote a blog that was talking about like how social media people could survive and basically like yes. un- unleashed all the pain that I couldn't say out loud and just let it pour out of my fingers. Mm. And that resonated with a lot of people because there was a lot of people who were feeling the exact same way as me, but they felt guilty. Like we're not on the front lines. We're not, we're not saving lives, but we're, we're on 24 hours a day. We're on, we're having war rooms every other day. And, and I can't say that online because maybe my boss will see it and fire me and think that I'm venting sure. because I'm ungrateful, not because I'm in emotional pain. I'm emotionally hungover, basically. Yes. Um, so it opened up dialogues where more and more people, and I think you could see this across Twitter specifically because it's so public, um, more and more people being exceptionally and unapologetically honest about what they love and what they hate. And knowing that like I can love my job and hate the day that I had. And hate mm-hmm. the thing that I had to get through and, and feel like I'm pulling my hair out or I'm having to cry at my desk because I just on that day, like I love my job. I love my boss, but on that day, it was too much. And so just this embracing of that, sorry. Yeah. Like this is so real. And that's actually one of the first blogs that I read to start to get to know you. And I didn't know that world of social media managers. I was still in the mindset that social media was done for the company by someone internally, probably someone younger, because you know they understand social media, who may or may not really want to be posting out on social, but it's like HR. One day somebody helped troubleshoot a problem and they're like, okay, you know, we really need to step it up here with culture and people management. Can we give you an HR role? No formal training, no degree. They're probably compensated too low. They're not appreciated. Or like the office manager is like all of a sudden now having to be HR. Then you have a smaller organization. Somebody fixes the printer once and they're like, great, you're now IT and like everybody's going to this person to solve it. And I just feel like social media management was is dumped on somebody who they have fit into a stereotype that quote unquote is probably good with social media because fill in the blank, but it's not structured. And you opened me up that blog and then listening to, and I use the word listening. I was reading what you were retweeting Mm -hmm. from these social media managers who are real human beings who are excellent in what they do, have one of the hardest jobs that most people do not realize how difficult that role is, are probably underappreciated and potentially underpaid. I don't know. But to read that and realize, whoa, social media management is actually of an entire profession, a very should-be-well-respected, vital role to an organization that deserves a full-time role with someone with training and experience and heart and passion for keeping that brand's perception, reputation, community, uh, immediate com- uh, response and acknowledgement and in for the people interacting with the brand and the social listening that has to occur, the response in that. There's so much to it and I had no idea. And so just that one blog opened up my eyes. And and here's what first happened was empathy. Uh The next thing that happened, because I'm a complex problem solver. That's funny. You asked about the childhood books. Uh I was trying to think. There's this book I read and I cannot remember the name of it. So if any listeners read this book as a child, maybe it's you. I don't know. And can DM me and tell me what this is. There was a book 
it was a mystery book about a little boy and he was trying to find something and there were clues all the way to find it. And the cliffhanger of the story was that he was looking for something, I think, with his name on it. And his name was Arnold, spelled A-R-N-O-L-D. But he couldn't find anything that started with like the letter A or his name Arnold. And it turns out that whatever his name was on, he couldn't find it because it started with the letter R because whoever wrote it spelled it phonetically, Arnold. Mm. And it was an awesome book. It was a total like little kid's mystery book with searching for clues and trying to solve the problem. That was my favorite book growing up. That and a book called The Search for Delicious when it really found out that the delicious was water on a very hot day after a long journey. Very cool book. I actually wrote it down. Like, I need to go back and read that. Okay, side note. If anyone knows the story about Arnold, I need to know the name of the book because I really want to go reread it. But I'm a complex problem solver. And so immediately after reading that blog was empathy. Number two was I look at the clients we serve and the companies we serve, and I'm like, we are completely underrepresenting social media. Mm-hmm. And our company could be doing a lot more. First comes education for these businesses to understand what they're doing wrong. Number two, helping them identify the value in this full-time, well-compensated position to be the voice of the brand and to do social listening and to interact. And so we're working through that right now to really bring it forth because I believe so much power in it. I want you to tell me of the companies that you've worked with, what do you think the top two or three mistakes are, the most common mistakes that are made in the world of social and listening? Number one is they see social as a publication instead of a conversation. Biggest, biggest issue. They'll care more about their content calendar than they will about the mentions and the sentiment that they have. They'll worry daily about whether things get published. And then at the end of the month is when they care about engagement and conversations and mentions. You need to completely reverse that. I would rather you start five conversations a month than you publish 10 things a day. Because if if you are just focused on pressing send, you're getting it wrong. It's not a billboard. It's, it's a conversation starter. If you... And, and you can tell this. And I, I wrote another piece that was talking about how dating is related to what dating can teach us about being better social media marketers. And it comes down to dating, going on a first date with that person. And all they want to do is talk about themselves. They don't ask you any questions. They don't care about you. They just want to tell you how great they are. That's what that content looks like. If you're not engaging with me, asking me questions, trying to provide some sense of value. If you just want to, if your entire content strategy is to tell me how great you are, I'm going to have to pass. Yeah. Like I would, I don't, I wouldn't date you. And I certainly wouldn't give you (laughs) money. Like that's, that's not happening. That's not happening. And so that's a huge mistake. Number two with listening, social listening, 2020 should have proven to everybody that social listening is not optional. It's a must now. You have to you have to read the room. And how can you read the room if you're not listening? You can't. Like it's impossible. So a lot of, and it goes back to an egocentric thing. A lot of brands, if they do social listening, they'll just look for their own mentions and their own handle mentions. That's it. <sighs> you lose so much if you are just focused on what people are saying about you. If you open that up and you look for keywords and hashtags and, and more keywords than hashtags, a lot of people focus more on hashtags when 
like the people who regularly use hashtags now are spammers. The people who are having normal conversations, like your customers are not using like 10 hashtags. They're just, it's stream of consciousness is what their post looks like. And stream of consciousness, like my stream of consciousness doesn't come with hashtags. So think about what is your customer talking about? What could they be saying that is related to your industry, your brand, your competitor, your product or services? Create talk walker alerts. They're completely free, just like Google alerts and find out where people are using those words. And then also search natively. The problem that I see on social and the problems that I see with social listening is that they get the basics wrong. They want to automate immediately. I'm like, no, 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 no. You have got to get the foundation right. You can automate until the cows come home after that, but you have got to get the basics right. And that comes from taking that time. And honestly, it's like a Google Doc or a Google spreadsheet. And you just make a list. How would your customers talk about you? Talk about your brand. Talk about your product, services, your industry, where you're located. Don't just have blinders and care about what they say about you when they mention you, because a lot of the love that they share, like they're, they're going to, they're going to tap that handle when they're angry because they want you to see it, but they're not always going to tap that handle when they're just loving on you. There's Mm -mm. so much, there's so much UGC. There's so much fan love that you'll never see because you didn't search for something outside of that handle mention. It's, it's such a lost opportunity. These are brilliant and lead into what I believe is the top takeaway from today's episode. And I want to translate it into the three different audiences that I believe are listening to this. There's a whole missed conversation that happens not by posting, but it's by interacting and engaging with other people's posts or comments. And there's searchability through hashtags or did you say talk walker alerts? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Talk walker, talk walker alerts. alerts that you can set up. And this is a big light bulb going off for me that some people may look at how I use LinkedIn and Twitter. What will happen is I go through these phases where I post a lot, like consistently. And then I go through a phase that looks like I'm very silent. But what I'm actually doing is in lieu of posting, I'm commenting, reply tweets, I'm engaging in other people's content, something brilliant that, and that's honestly where the conversations are. FYI, the conversations are in what I'm posting out. Like I'm posting out what I feel out of responsibility. Hey, I was a guest on this podcast. Hey, I've got a speaking engagement coming up. Hey, I wrote another blog. There's cool things in that. And I do have audience that interacts with that. And I do have conversations with those people. I have a very loyal audience for those pieces, but real conversation, thought leadership, mindset share engagement and relationship for Mary Grothy comes from me finding other people posting about their pains, problems, challenges, acknowledgements, that conscious state of flow that you're talking about of where they are right now, today. It's finding those people that have a pain problem challenge that my company solves. And I engage in a conversation that is not a sales conversation. It's a rapport building relationship, fact finding, getting to know you. I'm not a scary person that's going to spam you and pitch. Let's actually meet. Maybe I can help you. I don't know. And we talked through it. That conversation could be public on comments, Uh, replies. It could be in DMs. It could be finding their contact information or asking, uh, you know, to jump on a quick call. Like I have a couple ideas for you. That relationship will lead to more growth and revenue 
them posting and sharing an article and you just nailed it. Yeah. So any takeaway from that? Yeah. It's planting seeds. The thing that I see on LinkedIn is that, and I'm not grouping everyone together on this, but there is clearly a pattern where people see that they, they send a connection request. And if you accept that opens the door for a pitch, Mm. that is not, that is not the move. That is not the way you need to see every single touch point as planting a seed. Yes, it may not sprout tomorrow, but what you are going to start seeing is that more and more people are going to realize that you see them as a human and not a number. And so that's what you're, what, that's what you're doing when you're building community is you're building an army. When you amplify others, they will amplify you back. Ooh, that's they good. <laughs> they will. It's why, you, it's why UGC is so powerful. If you, if you share a fan's post on Instagram or on Twitter or anywhere, they are going to tell every single person that they have ever met that they can get in contact with that you just amplified them, that you just shared them. You took a fan and made them feel incredibly special. And it takes seconds to make. That's the thing is it. No one wants to pay. Like there's there's tons of quote unquote like mavens and gurus and all the things that want to pay you like they, they ask you for money to like, I'm going to teach you how to do this. No one wants to pay $100, $500, $1,000 for someone to say, you just got to do the work. <laughs> you just got to press that like, you just got to pay attention. And at the end of the day, if you can make someone feel special and make them feel heard, they're going to, that's where the dividends come. Like it comes every time when you make someone feel special. And that's what marketing Twitter did. There's so many people who are growing and so many people. And like my, my followers like doubled as soon as I started amplifying others. And that wasn't why I did it. I definitely felt that hole in me that I wanted to help and teach. But it's not a zero sum game. Mm-mm. Like I can help someone and they may not know, they may not need me now, but they could need me in a month from now or two months from now. You never know when that return's going to come, but I'm telling you that return's going to come better than you pitching a complete stranger and, and acting like, all I had to do was open the door. And that was, and that was me accepting, like that was me checking the box saying, I know that this means I'm going to immediately get a pitch. No one wants a pitch. Show me you care. They say like, show, don't tell. Show, <laughs> yes. me, sh- show me you care. Don't tell me how great you are. Show me you care. What a beautiful way to wrap us up. The takeaways in the last five minutes, if you didn't take away anything from the first, you know, amazing 25 minutes of this episode, the last five minutes, listen to it again. There's so much tangible takeaway items. They're so easy to implement, you know, so easy for those of us that are actually willing to do the work to get great outcomes. Christina, how do people get in contact with you? I'm that Christina G on Twitter, Instagram. I write on Medium. Um, Feel free to say hi and um, I hope you have a great day. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Quota Crusher podcast. Did you like it? Be sure to give us a rating and share it with your friends. And don't forget to connect with me on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. Lastly, if your company needs a boost in revenue, like real revenue growth. Send me a message and we'll discuss how our team builds revenue engines for our clients, covering all facets like marketing, sales, rev ops, and customer success. Until next time.